So ChatGPT, let me give you the basic primer. Yeah. ChatGPT is a large language model. And the idea is that it's an algorithm that has scoured the internet up until 2021. They cut it off at 2021 on purpose. And right now it's in beta. And what they've done is they have dictated to this algorithm to go out and find any data on the internet that analyzes human speech. So it looks at the way we write. It looks at the way we talk. It looks at transcripts of physical conversations. And it tries to aggregate all that data to understand how do humans communicate? Because it's not code. It's not logic-based. It's got to figure out the grammar, context, structure of the way humans write in English. And so it's basically a machine trying to learn English, which is the most fucked up language on this planet. podcast. I'm your host, Danny Paul. Joining me in the Bob Media Studios is the one, the only, the Baron of Bourbon, the Kaiser of Cali, the Liege Lord of Loath. We uncover here, ladies and gentlemen. Kaiser, I like that. Nice, Danny. How are you? How the hell are you? <laughs> it's a good. I'm, I'm good. It's, it's a, a good. good. It's a it's good. good. It's a uh, me, it's a Mario. <laughs> Did you see, by the way, uh, that Saturday Night Live sketch oh, with so who, many times? Oh, my God. I'm like, why does this movie not really exist? <laughs> if, for, the, for those who didn't hear it or see it, Google Saturday Night Live oh. Super Mario movie. They made a trailer that made it the most awesome Super Mario Brothers. I would have loved to see it in real life. Like the part where they're... Ru they're driving away like they're on Mario Kart and Toad like gives up his life for him. It's yep. the, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So so it was Pedro Pascal who was the host and they were making fun of Last of Us because Last of Us is, is it's based on a video game, but it's he's doing a lot of stuff lately where it's him and a little kid wandering the galaxy. Mm -hmm. and so they decided to make fun of it as if it were Mario Kart. And that was <laughs> the best part is it was post-apocalyptic wasteland and somebody comes up and goes, you need to transfer the princess to Rainbow Road. There's only one man who can do it. It's a me, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and they play it so straight and earnest, and it is the most wonderful thing ever. It, it's a high production value, oh, yeah. too. Oh, they, like they, they spent some bucks, yeah. They spent some bucks making that ad, and it's awesome. For sure. For sure. So, and then the little part at the end that I think it's underappreciated is it... <laughs> Right as they go through this entire fake movie trailer, they get to the end and it's him and the princess and they're on the eve of, you know, solving their quest. And then at the last minute, it's him popping up out of a green pipe and it goes, dope, dope, dope. And he fires a shotgun. I was like, oh. <laughs> Nailed yes. it. Yes. I saw it many, many a time because I just couldn't stop laughing. Oh, well done. So how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, man. We Good. are, we are expanding the pod on our new platform. So we are, mm -hmm. I think, I want to say this is the fourth 
episode of season three. Okay. And we're expanding our audio capabilities. And uh, the the season three teaser I put out, I said there's going to be new guests. There's going to be new segments. There's going to be new stuff. So I got mm-hmm. my new toys and I got, uh, you know, my accoutrement and I'm hoping to do some interesting things this year. So uh, this new platform allowed me to make a couple of new web pages. So I'm working on a bracket page because mm-hmm. we're probably due to start thinking and talking about the 2023 Brown bracket. You read my mind. We got to do it. Was it what, what, are we, what are we going to do? Yeah. I mean, the real, the real bracket's coming up and that's always what's been inspiring to us. So mm-hmm. I don't know what we're going to do, but uh, we're going to do something. <laughs> And whatever uh, we got to, if I mean, you got to put knob nine in there, people Otherwise, say, people say, Danny, what do you want to do for the bracket? And I say, I don't know. Don't yell at me, but I know I need to do something <laughs> without further ado, Leon, what's your brown tonight? Tonight I am uh, doing a foolproof 1972. Oh, tasty. Nice bottle. Yes. Too. Yeah. It's a great looking bottle. 125 proof. Ooh. It's rocket fuel. Yeah, for sure. So, so if I start slurring speech here, you know what happened? your chest stings the nostrils. Yeah, it's good taste though. Like I, 1792 is also the same uh, uh, distillery that made the Kirkland brands. Oh, and indeed. And and it's, uh, those are excellent too. But you know, they save the best for themselves and I don't blame them. But that's, sure. that's they got some good stuff. How for about sure. you? What do you, for sure. what, what's your brand? Uh, having had all this recent good fortune of which I knock, we've got Ted Lasso coming up. Uh, mm-hmm. Mentioned The Last of Us on HBO. I'm really excited about that. That one's going to finish up this week. And uh, Succession's coming back to HBO and the day job's going well and things are things are well. I decided to go with the Weller. W.L. Weller. Oh, good call. Danny's other green good label. Oh. Mm. That is one of, I just hate that everybody figured out how fucking good that one is oh. because it. It's 30 bucks a bottle if you can find it. The best but screw top on the planet. No doubt about it. So tasty. No doubt about it. So yeah, we're, uh, we're, I think I've, I've gone through my gamut of wheated bourbon and mm-hmm. uh, it's very likely that we'll have General Tizzo on next week because he wants to talk about this bottle of Blackened that he got me, which is a Metallica whiskey. Mm-hmm. We, we talked that. about it on, a, on an episode last season, um, but he's, he went out of his way to get this very special package and he wants to talk about it. So he's like, if you're, if you're going to talk about it or you're going to have it on the show, I want to be on the show. So next week we'll have General I'll bring Tizzo out my Blackened. On. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. Well, maybe uh, I'll have to bring Long Branch too. All right. Perfect. All right. All right. All right. Oh, is that the wild turkey one? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's his. I like. I like it. I like it. Anyway, this is probably going to be the the end of my wheated bourbon journey. It's and been a, gonna, it's been a long run. It's been a great run. I've actually, I tried, so we did, uh, I did around the Brown beginning of season two, and then this was mm-hmm. my wheated bourbon journey for the beginning of season three. And then I'll probably get back to my beloved scotch at some point, uh, towards the end of the month. But, uh, yeah, now that we've talked about Brown, talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest Brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? What about, um, Brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Can I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? When I talk about brown comes to us from Tasting Table. The connection between aging Irish whiskey and bourbon. Hmm. Ready for this one, Leon? We I am. are we're we're recording this on March 9th. As in next week is St. Patty's Day. So I thought this would be fitting to talk about Irish whiskey. The article begins in the world of whiskey. Things can get a little confusing. 
Whiskey comes in several forms, and two of those forms include bourbon whiskey and Irish whiskey. Labels include more than just choosing a name. Standards for each type are strict and highly regarded. Although slight changes can be made to make bottles unique, specific rules that have stood for hundreds of years have to be adhered to, namely the mash, the barrel, and the aging process. During the designation bourbon, whiskey must be at least 51% corn, up to 80. Mash bill is the mix of grains used to make that whiskey. The bourbon must age at least two years in new oak barrels, white oak, if I recall, that have been charred, though most bourbons age longer. Nothing is added as flavoring to the bourbon. Every note you taste comes from the mash bill, the barrel, and the length of time. Bourbon is enjoyed neat or in cocktails like the ever-popular Old Fashioned. Irish whiskey, mm-hmm. on the other hand, has some different requirements than bourbon. However, sometimes Irish whiskey requires a little help from its whiskey friend, bourbon. Bourbon and Irish whiskey have an interesting connection when it comes to the aging process. i take a guess, Leon. Um, I'm going to go with the barrels. They Let's share the same barrels. Out. Let's find out. According to Masterclass, an Irish whiskey mash must be made of malt, barley, and cereal grains. There are no percentages required, but once the distilling process is complete, Irish whiskey must be aged in wooden casks, also called barrels, for at least three years. And most importantly, it must come from Ireland. You can't make Irish whiskey in any other country for obvious reasons. Irish whiskey is enjoyed neat, on the rocks, or in a warm drink like Irish coffee. Mm-hmm. Irish whiskey is most often aged in American bourbon whiskey barrels. X barrels that have held bourbon. Good call, Mike Leon. Mike Blend the wonderful citrus, vanilla, and caramel notes of bourbon to the Irish whiskey. It's sort of a tip of the hat from Irish whiskey to bourbon. More importantly, it's the perfect way to join several outstanding notes and flavors together. But they use our sloppy seconds is what That's I'm, right. I'm getting That's there. right. That's exactly right. The Irish mm-hmm. can't do it alone. They need the bourbon. I what heard, does that say? Does that say I heard something is, the other day. Bourbon goes after jail bait? Is that what we're potato- saying? Did we introduce potatoes to them? Does that sound right? I heard that on the radio the other day, and I'm like, that can't be right. That we brought potatoes to them? Yeah. I do can't be early. Right. Well, it had to have been done early because 1822, I think, was the great Irish potato famine. Hold on. Let's pause the show. Yeah. We, Did we, we give potatoes to Ireland? America first. Son of a bitch. There we go. The potato is widely thought to have been introduced to Ireland in 1586 by an American, Sir Walter Raleigh. Mm, Raleigh Durham. Founder of Jamestown. Hmm. British explorer and historian known for his expeditions to the Americas first brought the pot and planted them in his Irish estate and Myrtle Grove, Yogel, near Cork, Ireland. Legend has it that he made a gift of the potato plant to Queen Elizabeth I. Sam Dabich, Leon. I mean, the, if if you don't walk away from this show Shit. learning something, we failed. Like a That's country right. that is synonymous with that, with that particular uh, that particular delicacy. Is something yeah. that came from the states. So not that's only why you get Idaho your looks from like us. a big middle finger. That's why right. Idaho looks like a big middle finger. Get like that's my potato. And your whiskey barrels from us. And what do we get? Mm-hmm. A holiday. Mm-hmm. When's we'll bourbon take it day? Though. I feel When's like we bourbon celebrate day? it more than they do. They probably do. There's there's a lot more a lot more Irish people out here in the states that that enjoy once <laughs> a year. We dye our rivers green. That's right. We 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 have a flurry named after it. <laughs> We did touch in, on that. McDonald's. Uh, we touched on that in an earlier episode, how they died the Chicago River. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They do that and they do it in Savannah, too, I, I believe. Ooh. So, oh, yeah, St. Patty's Shake at McDonald's for sure, dude. Yeah. The Shamrock Shake is no joke. I love it. But it does freak me out the next day when I 
look in the toilet because you have to look. You you have to know what you've done. Like, I mean, do you, are you one of those guys that just doesn't look, just wipe and flush? Like, you gotta you gotta see what you've produced. You know, if I and ate so, beets, I would probably be interested in that. But for the most part, I'm not interested. Yeah, but I gotta I have say, to know, I have to know what happened. I would probably want to know. Yeah, um, it's green. It's bright green. <laughs> also, well, speaking of uh, tis the reason for the season, I got a hold of a recipe for a clover mint martini cocktail because I have status at Total Wine. Do you believe this? I believe that, yes. So I have I have the recipe for a clover mint martini cocktail recipe. Throw this one up real quick for, for Leon's benefit. Ounce and a half Cavanaugh Irish cream, ounce okay. veil whipped cream vodka, quarter ounce Mr. Stack's peppermint schnapps. Add all ingredients to a shaker, have. add ice, shake hard, strain into a martini glass, garnish with whipped cream. You know what I like about that? The ad, and you need to post this on our site, mm. but you could buy all three of these things they just mentioned, which I've never had. Uh, and it looks like it, you, it is a total of $27. 27 yeah. yeah give or take plus plus tax so 27 dollars will get you the three bottles that will allow you to make as many of these as you want serves one prep time five minutes difficulty easy slancha to a lucky combination mix up a sweet minty creamy three ingredient cocktail mm. you like it you like it yeah i'll put this link up there and i'll see because it should be it should be public i don't think i had to do anything special to it but uh yeah get yourself a shaker some cavanaugh irish cream Veil whipped cream vodka, which I think any any cream vodka will work, but this one's veil because it's probably got some special. And then, of course, the peppermint schnapps. So Irish cream, cream vodka, peppermint schnapps, whip it up, make yourself cocktail or St. Patrick's Day. Good pick. And that wraps up talking about Brian. Let's get to our top story, Liam. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Nice top story comes to us from DW.com. Now, I found many sources on this, Leon, but this particular article was a little bit more extensive. So I'm going to skim it a little bit here. But basic gist of it is, because this is old. This is from July of 2022. So this article itself is about nine months old. But the most important thing about it is in 2024, the earliest iteration of Disney's Mickey Mouse will enter the public domain. I mentioned this a little bit to Midge last episode, but this, I want to go deep dive on this one because the house of mouse is extremely good at extending copyright and intellectual property protections. Mm -hmm. And as of next year, they're done. They can't extend it any longer, huh? Nope. Well, they can't, they can't extend the original iteration of him. So all the, the later iterations they got where he's got like shoes and, and the red pants and stuff, they can make, they can keep that going until the 95 year extension limit but the original steamboat willie Mm. from 1928 the first animation to use synchronized sound that mickey mouse is going to be in the public domain next year who do you think is the first one to exploit him uh south park family guy or whoever whoever is is disney's biggest competitor so (laughs) dreamworks i thought dreamworks was an extension of disney Am I wrong? Uh, it's well, it's David Geffen. It's Steven Spielberg. It's not. I don't. I don't think DreamWorks is because they were the original animation challenger. But then you've got uh, Imagination, the company that did the uh, the Minions movies. So any anybody that's in animation is going to go. Who did Toy Story? Full steam ahead. That was Pixar. That was Disney. Okay, that was Pixar. That's one I'm confusing. Yeah, absolutely. Then. South Park for sure. Yeah. So South Park this. holding no bar. Yep. Family Guy for sure. Fox is going to want. Well, I don't know. I think Disney. Disney might own Family Guy. Hmm. Anyway, 
In the U.S., copyright for original works of authorship lasts until the author's death plus 70 years. But for works created anonymously, pseudo-anonymously, or by an employee as part of the job, it lasts 95 years. Works published before 1978, like Mickey Mouse, only have a copyright of 95 years from the date of publication. While the first version of Mickey Mouse is nearing the end of its 95-year copyright protection, the mouse has had a few transformations since 1928, and subsequent versions of Mickey Mouse will still be protected until their 95 years runs out. However, the original Mickey Mouse looks quite different to the warm and round mouse seen today. He had a pointy rat-like nose and skinny arms and skinny legs. While Disney may lose the copyright to Steamboat Willie, they may still maintain some rights if that version of the mouse is recognized as a trademark. First question is whether Disney's using Steamboat Willie not just as a character, but also as a symbol of Disney, quoth Jane Ginsburg, professor of literary and artistic property law at Columbia Law School. Now, it's important to get in a copyright versus trademark. Leon, you ready? ready? A trademark is a recognizable symbol or expression that is connected to a product or service from a particular company or individual. Unlike copyright, they can last forever. Ooh, in, the US, know that. in the U.S., a trademark doesn't have to be registered to be considered a trademark. So if the version of Mickey Mouse seen in Steamboat Willie is seen as a symbol of Disney, the company can claim trademark. This means people can use the characters, but it must be done in a way that people do not mistake the work as being from Disney. So basically, uh, you could show the mouse and it looks just like the mouse and it does all the stuff the mouse does and it sounds like the mouse and it acts like the mouse, but then you have to say something like, I'm not Disney. So one little funny thing that popped up last year is Winnie the Pooh as serial killer. Did you see this? No. It's a horror movie with Winnie the Pooh. The original stories and characters of A.A. A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh from 1926 joined the public domain at the beginning of 2022, which means you can use Tigger, Rue, Eeyore, Christopher Robin, all of them are public domain. No kidding. So if you want to do a tiger bouncing on his tail, how about you? So this is the fun part about public domain is now you can get stuff that doesn't require, you know, gaining permission or paying out your ass. So your Sherlock Holmes is public domain, all the stuff from the 19th century is public domain. And as we move a hundred years along, anything that was in the thirties is fair game. And then you start to get into the really, really good stuff in the, in the sixties. But for now, Disney's iconic image of the character, the yellow bear with a red t-shirt that first appeared in a short animated feature in 1966 is still under copyright. The entertainment giant also maintains a hold on several trademarks related to the popular teddy bear, which restrict the use of the character's image and products. So the original bear from the original book in 1926 is free and clear, but the yellow bear with the red shirt is probably still under Disney copyright. It's all very oh, complicated. Father. Testing the limits of Disney's stronghold on its copyright link to the character Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey is a horror film set to be released this year. The film reimagined A.A. A. Milne's character as a serial killer. I don't think it did very well, but I love the idea. Well, did you ever end up watching the Lincoln uh, vampire killer one? Nope. Oh, see, that's, so that's, that's, that's where I would put that. Uh, this is a likable, innocent character that you turn into a murderous you know, villain, I guess. Well, you get into yeah, the basic thing that I hate about copyright protections is you can't rely on the the owner to do anything with it. They just want to sit back and collect their money. So case in point is Return of the Jedi was 1983, right? Mm -hmm. And then from 1983 until 1996, Lucas did nothing. He did Howard the Duck. It flopped and he went, fine, taking my shit. I'm going home. And then we had nothing 
We had no Star Wars. So you had a shit ton of fan fiction because they're allowed to do that in books. You just can't do it with a physical, you know, audio or, or visual trademark. You can, you can do it books all the time. That's how Ready Player One was so awesome without paying everybody a cut. But then finally he comes back in 96 and he makes the prequel trilogy, which by most accounts, if you were a child of the original, that was a piece of shit. And then he sat on it again until 20, what, 2013, 2015, when the final trilogy came out. In between all that time, if you go on YouTube, there are hundreds, if not thousands of fan videos of the most badass lightsaber duels and all kinds of fun stuff, but they can't do it because they don't have his permission because he has copyright protection. And so people well, are missing out on so much good stuff. Well, I will play devil's advocate, although I agree with what you're saying, but to have a alternative voice in here, say what you want about the, the prequels and the most recent series and diehard people have either love it or hate it or, you know, what have you. I, I think that he had the creative control over it. And so at least, you know, that the story, the original story and the continuation stories or prequels were created by the same person out of the same universe. It would be very weird for me in the Harry Potter universe that if somebody other than JK Rowling's writing it, like it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, okay, but it doesn't feel authentic. Right. And all and you almost could tell by the last three is JJ Abrams, right? He's the one that made the last uh, he three. Did, yeah, he did seven and nine. Okay. And he did, you know, he did a great job. And I think he worked really hard to try to keep the same look and feel. You know, kudos to him. I think he did a good job, but you knew it wasn't Lucas. You just yeah. could tell. For sure. And uh, whether or not Lucas signed off on the storyline, I don't know. But, um, you know, for whatever it's worth, let's, I mean, if you create something really cool and really special like Star Wars or, or the Harry Potter or the Matrix or these, you know, the John Wicks, whatever they are, that are these amazing saga stories that people are enthralled with and, you know, will will constantly blog about and, you know, everyone's got a take on it. Uh, you know, the Game of Thrones and all that. I mean, I, Game of Thrones would have never finished if they didn't finally go go to George R.R. R. Martin and say, hey, we got to we got to move this shit along. You're not yeah, you're not writing books. books anymore. Yeah. So we're not we're not going to wait for you. These actors are going to age out. So we got to keep going. And they did. And good for them. And they came up with an ending that even, you know, R.R. R. Martin couldn't come up with. But uh that I, I you could also tell that they deviated because if anyone's watching that, like the last two or three seasons, especially the last season, felt very compressed. Yeah. You know, like they just wanted and, to be done with it. Yeah. And and you know, if you anything you read or watch of George R. R. Martin, it's very methodical and long. And he and loves gotchas, you know, he uses length as a way to hide shock moments. You know, he bores you and lullabies you until you're like, what the hell just happened? Red wedding. What happened? What just happened? That's a good point. <laughs> like that's, that's his style. So I guess as far as the Mickey uh, steamboat Willie thing, I feel like I understand why the public domain limitation is there, but it also bothers me a little bit. I wish it wasn't like, I'm not saying that Disney's exactly knocking it out of the park these days, but I don't want other people to destroy this icon because, hey, it's public domain now. And never underestimate how many people are trolls out there that do things just to destroy, 
versus enhance because it feels like these days destroying is way more prevalent. At least it catches more eyeballs. I give you that. And clicks. Uh, the patent and copyright clause of the United States Constitution states that Congress shall have the power to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for a limited time to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. So that's the purpose of the patent copyright trademark idea. In 1998, an additional 20 years were added on to copyright terms in the United States. Before that, it lasted the life of the author plus 50 years. So this gave Disney an additional 20 years of protection for the original Mickey Mouse. Not to be outdone, Germany led the way for this extension of copyright as one of the first countries in the European Union to increase copyright to life plus 70. See, the Germans get this. It's the Germans. It's the Germans. And it's because uh, of David Hasselhoff. Nobody wants to mess with Baywatch. No, you don't mess. You don't mess. You don't hassle the Hoff, right? You don't hassle the Hoff. <laughs> when EU harmonized and adopted the same copyright standards, uh, European Union wide, they made that conditional and reciprocity, meaning the United States works would not get the extra twenty years of protection in the EU unless the U.S. extended its copyright protection by twenty years. Uh, and so we now have the ability to copyright a work from the original inventor plus. 70. So think of your favorite shit done by somebody mm -hmm. and then add so much time. However, if it's done in the purpose of employment, so for example, the X-Men was created in 1960, let's say, let's say for the sake of argument, let's say 1962, the X-Men was created by Stan Lee while he was working for Marvel, which means the X-Men now go into the public domain in 2057 and do whatever you want with Cyclops and Jean Grey and, and Iceman. But that's, that's the basic idea is if it's done under condition of employment, like for example, yeah, if like Batman's coming up uh, in the next five years in the public domain because Bob Kane was was working for DC at the time. So he doesn't get to claim my death plus 70 because he bought it in the 90s. So can you imagine Batman in the public domain? I can. I was actually just thinking. I can imagine. I, in a positive way, you want that? I'm going to have so much fun with that. There's so many. I don't know that what would change at this point. There's so many different Batman Mm. It's one of the hallmarks of the characterizations. Done, yeah, they've done different shades of it. So if somebody comes in and does another yeah. different shade, the only thing they don't have to worry about is a lawsuit. So it can be good or it can be shit. There's just no court. Violence. Yeah. Huh. So in, if if I ruled the world, and I eventually one day will, yeah, I would say that my personal opinion is it should be X amount of years after your death. So your family, one generation after you, gets to benefit from whatever the hell you did. But then after that, you're done. Like 30, 40, 50 years after you, you're, you've passed. Because we, we can't expect, you know, his his grandson or her grandson or granddaughter to continue it on the same way that that Yeah, you can't be living with that shit if it was done before yeah. you were born. Right. So yeah, I like I the, so X amount of years after they're dead. I would say 25. So if we're going to go for a generation, a generation is typically given a 25 year mark. So death plus 25. Right. But does that put a target on people? Like I know Stanley's passed, but would he have lived as long as he did? Like I want his money. His family's going after him. I, I'm not going to live until I'm 80. So I need to kill that him now. makes for an excellent detective story, Leon. Well done. <laughs> anyway, that wraps up uh, top stories. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. Tonight's crank file comes to us from CBS News. 
Flying with your cat? TSA warns, do not send your pet through the x-ray units. <gasps> this one's dated March 6th, 2023. So this is recent. This, this, this was three days ago. Transportation Security Administration is issuing a renewed set of warnings to pet owners who are flying with their animal companions. Stop sending your pets through the x-ray. Reminder comes days after someone left their pet cat in a carrying case at a security checkpoint, and officials didn't know it until it was already scanned. TSA spokesperson Lisa Farbstein tweeted about the traveling mishap on March 3rd, saying the incident occurred at Virginia's Norfolk International Airport. Just when you thought it was safe to bring your cat on a trip, Farbstein said, along with an orange x-ray image of the feline crouched down in a bag, attention pet owners, please do not send your pet through the x-ray unit. Catastrophic mistake. <laughs> Fuck you, Lisa. <laughs> X-ray machines that was so punny. X-ray machines use a form of radiation to produce images on the inside of objects, and when living things go through such scans, they are exposed to said radiation, although the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that X-rays usually use the least amount. The body scanners that people walk through at airports use millimeter wave technology that uses non-iodizing radiation in the form of low-level radio waves to scan a person's body. Farbstein said the animal's fine. The traveler and cat had to go through screening the proper way once the TSA officers saw the x-ray image. Farbstein said, adding that the correct method for getting the animal through security is taking it out of the bag. This isn't the first time someone left their cat inside luggage at the airport. In November, an orange cat was found in someone's checked luggage. <laughs> That's a different story. He's found in someone's checked luggage as it went through an x-ray unit. One of several odd things detected in airport luggage scans. This all oh, this pictures classic just to make sure oh people are aware of the right way to take their pets through security officials released a video showing exactly how to do it because <laughs> they have to <laughs> so people will never i mean you've seen the stories where people like don't want to buy a ticket and they put people in bags oh, yeah. you know uh let alone let alone pets quick story about x-rays my great-grandfather who he passed before i was Born, but um, I knew his his wife, my great grandmother, very well uh, growing up, and I've seen many pictures of him. He was one of the first, what must have been one of the first guinea pigs, when it came to those dental X-rays. Oh, they really didn't know. You know, now they throw that lead coat on you. They do it for like five, you know, a millisecond. Well, they didn't. They didn't know how the technology worked, and they really didn't know that X-rays were bad for you. So they flipped that fucker on for hours on him and obviously he developed a horrible uh horrible bubbling his whole face was bubbling Yuck. uh and he was in he was you know obviously mortified to go out in, in public because he was so ugly and uh you know he obviously died of the cancer that it caused oh. um but That's horrible leon it, it is it is horrible but you know his loss is everybody else's gain because now they do it for a fraction of a second with a lead coat on you. What made me think about this as well was I just recently went, got my teeth cleaned and got my teeth x-rayed. And every time I do that, I think about my great grandfather, but the she was about to do it. And I'm like, Hey, where's my, where's my lead vest? Cause she didn't put it on. She's like, oh, I forgot. And then she goes, well, studies say that actually 
we've been doing this, but it's the wrong way to do it because what happens is the x-rays actually get trapped between it and your body and it goes and bounces around more. I'm like, well then fucking take it off. What like, I don't want to wear this. She had to leave it on because that's what, you know, that's what the rules say. That's the protocol. Oh God, I, yeah. So I would like a little bit more. Hey, CDC, get your ass. Oh yeah. Oh, they've been doing great last couple they of years. This shit. Oh yeah. They're knocking it out of the park. <laughs> so let's, you know, in, in my grandfather's name, you can call, you can call it the bear law and uh, go ahead, great grandfather. And let's, let's figure out a way to not kill people uh, when, when getting x-rays of their teeth. The accompanying video in the link that we're going to share in the show notes shows a pet owner taking their small dog out of its carrying case and walking with it through the body scanner. If pet owners are worried you have an escape artist on your hands, the agency said there are other options available. Speak with our officers about alternating screening options, which could include private screening. I mean, I suppose there's like, I I suppose there's dickishness where you could ask your pet to swallow explosives, but for the most part, what the fuck's, what the fuck is a pet going to do? One, why are you bringing a cat to the airport? But that's, there you go. That's the actual question. (laughs) These serious fuck. These emotional support animals. Like I'm actually for them because you know, good. I, who doesn't want to travel with their pet? This is and my this emotional is, support keg. If this is the loophole that it's required to make it happen, so be it. But at the same time, like everyone's like, get the fuck out of here. Like you don't need an animal to travel. You shouldn't be traveling if that's the case. That being said, you know, let's call it what it is. I can't leave my pet behind because I love my pet and my pet's awesome and well-behaved. So they should they should have like a certification on how well behaved they'll be on the airplane. Yeah, or or I don't want to pay the money to board it. Yeah, that too. I mean, have you ever sat next to one of these animals on a flight? Ah, uh, the times I, that I can remember, it's they were loud as fuck. Oh, the one time, a couple times I have <coughs> with cats, but there was there was one time there was like a full grown God like damn it, lady, feed it golden retriever next to me, and it was the most glorious flight. I enjoyed every service minute dogs of it. are bitching, but they train yeah. them. Yeah, well, this wasn't a service dog. This was an emotional support animal. And it literally I let me pet it the whole time and it was having a good time and I was having a good time. And I just I just think it's funny that we found this health loophole to make it happen because we need for better health, we we need to have these animals on board the airplane. I love that they finally drew the line at Peacock. Yes, yes, you're correct. They've that gone too me, far. That does remind me of the the Peacock was where we drew the line. Yeah, we've gone too far. <laughs> and people who's like slippery slopes aren't real. That's just a that's just a you know conspiracy theories argument. It, it every single time it's real, and somebody's got to push the envelope until you've gone too far, and that too far is a peacock. You cannot take a peacock on an airplane. <laughs> You're just being an asshole at that point. Pretty ballsy to have a peacock on there. Right. It's like, this is my hyena. It's my (laughs) emotional support hyena. I I can't fly without this hyena. Uh, It's it's chewing my leg, sir. Well, that makes me feel better inside. So I'm going to have to fly with it. I can't fly without my screaming goat. (laughs) (laughs) Or the fainting goats. Just... (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, that wraps up the crank file. Let's get to science, technology, space. Five, four, three, two, one. Science isn't about why, it's about why not. Science. Technology. Technology. 
spaceship. That's right, I work for NASA. Yes, science. Technology. Space. All right, I dug deep for this one, Leon. This one comes from MIT Technology Review. This geothermal startup showed its wells can be used like a giant underground battery. We're talking wow. about a startup called Fervo Energy, F-E-R-V-O. They, they can feel, it be traded on the stock market? Can I buy it not, now? Not, not yet, but make a note. Uh, okay. They believe they can scale up immediately as power demand is required. So the challenge that you run into with something like solar is you get a steady feed when the sun's out and you, you get nothing when the sun's not out. So if all of a sudden there's an energy demand, you can't crank up solar. It's the sun is same thing with wind. You get the wind when you get the wind, but there is the pop possibility of geothermal, which is if you dig deep enough, you get down to the earth's core and it gets hot. And then you use the heat from the earth's core to heat water, which creates steam, which creates power, right? So the heat from the earth is scalable. So I'm okay. going to get in here with this little blurb that I got here. All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. Let's get this going. A geothermal startup called Fervo Energy claims to have developed a way to store renewable energy using geothermal wells. The company's technology essentially turns the wells into giant underground batteries that can store excess energy and release it as needed. The concept has been tested at a pilot site along Interstate 80 in Nevada and has shown promising results. The process involves drilling two wells, one for injection and one for extraction, and connecting them with a network of underground pipes. The water is then circulated through the pipes, creating a closed-loop system that can transfer heat from the Earth's core to the surface. When excess energy is available, the system can be used to heat the water and store it underground. When energy is needed, the hot water can be pumped back to the surface where it can be used to generate electricity. The company claims that its technology can provide reliable, dispatchable power that is not subject to the variance of wind and solar. The system can also be scaled up or down depending on demand, making it a flexible solution for energy storage. Vervo Energy has already secured funding from investors and is planning to expand its pilot site in Nevada. If successful, the technology could provide a cost-effective way to store renewable energy, which is a key challenge for the industry. It could also help to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by providing a reliable alternative to fossil fuels. However, there are still some questions about the scalability and feasibility of the technology. Remains to be seen whether we can be deployed at a large scale. Hmm. So the pictures that you're looking at here, Leon, are a gigantic drill that effectively does a little bit along the lines of fracking. So in fracking, you eject water down and it pushes the oil back up. That's an oversimplification. If any bobs out there that are electrical or, or mechanical engineers in the energy industry, forgive me. But yeah, you know more about it than I do. I just know you push it down, like something comes up. You, you know, frack a lack a lack. So this, mm -hmm. this picture right here from the link that we're going to include in the show notes, this is the drill that sends water down. And I'm trying to think, I, this is like a radiator in a car or the the plumbing that's in your air conditioning housing unit on the side of your house. It's you send the water down, the water gets heated from the earth and then you bring the water back up and you bring that hot water up and you use that to generate energy. So you don't have to use energy to heat the water. You let the earth do that. And that's the reason that it's sustainable is you just send the water down it gets heated. You bring it back up. You use the heat from the water to generate energy. And then the idea is if your network of pipes is long enough, the water will be down there long enough to get cooked by the earth's core. So if you need more energy, you just pump more water down. In theory, this shit is bitching. Question is how feasible is it and how scalable is it? So they're doing it up in the desert in Nevada, but who knows? What do you think? I, mean, if, I think this is pretty cool. I love the idea of it. I, I don't know what kind of energy they're producing, but this seems like the... 
the way when it comes to green energy, if it's real and it, it actually is producing anything worth a damn. Because, you know, like it's not like highway. the water goes away. Yeah, because it's like, okay, it's boiling, it goes up and then it condenses, goes down. Like you didn't lose the water. You didn't lose the heat source. Like there's no loss of energy and you're using Earth's gravity to push the water back down. So everything about it seems reasonable. So there's much to love about geothermal energy. It offers a virtually limitless, always on source of emissions-free heat and electricity. The United States can capture just 2% of the thermal energy available two to six miles beneath the surface. It could produce more than 2,000 times the nation's total annual energy consumption. But because of geological constraints, high capital costs, and other challenges, we barely use it at all. Today, it accounts for 0.4% of United States electricity generation. I'm actually a little bit thrown off by that original metric you put out there. Why? If you just captured 2%, it'd be more than 2,000 times. Like, why? Why is? Why did you pick that? <laughs> like, why did you pick, like, uh, the either point? Three percent. If we captured that, that's how much energy we. I don't know. It's just a funny way to explain basic, it. Basic math is: if you captured one percent, it'd be more than one thousand times. Yeah. If you captured a half a percent, it'd be more than five hundred times. So yeah. Yeah. Why? Why? Why is point four bad? <laughs> yeah, this is lazy writing. I'm with you. Okay. Sorry, I saw that. Uh, to date, developers of geothermal power plants have largely been able to tap only the most promising and economical locations so the idea is you got to get through the rock and it's tough to get through the rock yeah that's what Dwayne the rock johnson says that's right that's right so i thought that was i thought that was mildly fascinating so if we can fracture the rock and we can inject water down to two to six miles below the surface we can use the earth's natural heat from the core to generate energy for ourselves i think it's brilliant I think there's so many ways that we can create energy that are way better than the ways we're doing it uh, that I think, I think there's a lot there. I, it, it's sure. good that I know I've, I've said many times that we haven't cured cancer, but this is pretty awesome. We're on the right track here. So geothermal but, you know, people cure cancer. Geothermal. cure cancer. Yeah, no cancer first for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, fun fact. So as you can see, Leon, which those of you Bob's out there that are listening, when you actually go to this link, you'll see that this article was like 12 pages long. I threw this bitch in chat GPT and chat GPT gave us the summary that I read today. So you're going to have to teach me about chat GPT. You like that? Yeah. Chat GPT wrote my blurb. Sexy. (laughs) It's science. It's science. You used a science application to do the science segment on the show. And I'm impressed. You know what George Takei would say? Oh my. Yes, he would. It's science. It's science. Yeah. So that wraps up science. You, uh, you, uh, you, uh, you feeling angry about anything? I am. I yeah, am. You want to, uh, you want to emote about something? I need you. a little bit of cathartic help. But tonight, help. it's going to be me venting like again. It. Let's go to Leon Lowe's. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Leon, the floor is yours. I've I've hinted at this many times before. Uh, it's hit me really hard. And then it crescendoed. You know, Chris Rock just did a stand-up comedy recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Netflix. Um, yeah. And it's it's causing waves 
all over the place of both offended and non-offended people. Um, you know, somebody that was completely canceled and back and hilarious. Louis CK is back. Uh, we're, we're seeing, you know, we've talked about Dave Chappelle and what he's been doing. And I've always thought that comedy is on the forefront of the mirror that society needs. It's that looking glass. Speaking truth to power. So one thing that I can't seem to understand is why as a society, we've worked so hard in the last five years, but certainly in the last two on not, and working really hard to not say offensive things or do offensive things. The message to society has been be less offensive. Be careful who you're around. Don't say offensive things. These things are offensive. This list of things that are offensive to who they're offensive about grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And it's, it's unimaginably huge and large and long. Why is that the route society is taking of we need to be less offensive instead of flipping it and saying, Here's how we train you better to not be offended because that seems a hell of a lot easier, right? Like I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that you could teach everybody in a one week course how to blow off things that are offensive, but you can't train an entire world to not be offensive, be offensive in what they're saying. And that is what I think a lot of these comedians are, are regurgitating in different ways. I get it. Like there's things that you say that are, really horribly wrong that catastrophically change people, right? I mean, you, you're seeing these kids kill themselves based on what they see on the internet or that they're embarrassed. And it's, it's not a world I grew up in and it's not a world I can comprehend, but the world of sticks and stones, uh, that's gone. Now it's, you know, stand up for yourself and, let those people know you can't say that. And it's, uh, I just think it's a much more difficult (laughs) uphill path. And it's, I think I'm seeing in front of me, the world turning, but it's been eating at me for so long because there's, it's impossible to keep up with all these things, right? It's, it's just, it's just impossible to keep up with what I'm saying and how it's offending somebody else or what I'm thinking and because it's impossible, right? We, and I, I've laughed about it in the past, right? Why, why the U S you know, maybe the U S is the most racist country. Maybe it isn't. I don't know, but here is what the funny part is. We're the biggest melting pot. Nobody can argue that we are a melting pot of every different type of culture and every different type of being with many different values and many different priorities. And then we say, let's all live together in harmony. Impossible. Impossible. Because you can't have somebody who says that God's the most important thing next to people that are atheists say, we love that each one of you has your own feelings, but they both feel so passionately about what they feel about that if you mention one or the other in the wrong way, you're offending them. And now all of a sudden you're, you're, you're clashing. I just think there's so much more value in flipping the script here and saying, here's, here's how you deal with offensive people as opposed to, or offensive things being said, because you, you, you talk to some of these, 
Dave Chappelle, I think, is much more articulate on this this subject than anyone I've ever met. He's he's black. He's been through hell. He's been very open and honest about his mental illness issues that he's gone through. He is a target for anybody who wants to shred him. And yet it just rolls off his back like beaded water, like he doesn't affect him. And that is really what I think would be a superpower if you could train more people to do that. Because trying to get these trolls to stop trolling is never going to happen. That that ship has sailed. It is a way of making a living. It is a joy that people have. They love hitting triggers and and it's fun to hit triggers and people love seeing people that are fired up. Like nobody goes through the comments of a post looking for the nicey nice comments. They're looking for the people that lost their fucking shit because of the post. That's what you're looking for. You want to see these people are like, oh, yeah, that's that makes me feel good inside that this person's melting down. I just think we'd be a lot better, a lot fucking better of a society and a world if we could figure out a way to be less offended and let things just go. Yeah, well, I guess I am an asshole. Yeah, I guess I am fat, you know, whatever it is. And just let it go. Because once you realize you lean into it and they're not getting the reaction anymore, the trolls go away and the world becomes a better place. The only reason the we're using trolls even exist is because they're getting a reaction. You got to take that away. You got to take that candy cane away. That's my love. I agree with you, Liam. I agree that uh, Sticks and Stones has always been, at least in our lifetime, probably going on. I, I want to say, I'll go out on a limb. The entirety of the 20th century, Sticks and Stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is the way that it should be. Now, there is a small portion, some might say a large portion of areas where you do want to have accountability. You can't just say and do whatever you want without accountability. Back in the days, probably of, because we're, we're the last generation, and I, and I say this as early millennials. So I'm, I'm 79 and you're 80. So we're cuspers. So we're, we're ex-ennials. We're kind mm -hmm. of in that, that bridge point between X and millennials. So we're, we're elder. Elder millennials are a lot more like Xers than, than the rest of the generation. But millennials grew up with social media. They grew up with cell phones. They grew up with all of these digital tools and they've been embroiled in this type of culture of access. And uh, I think the pendulum is probably going to swing with Gen Z and with Gen Alpha because I think they're, they're disengaging. They're unplugging. They're walking away from it because they understand that the rage machine does one thing. It feeds an advertising industrial complex. And the whole mm -hmm. idea of canceling somebody is it's about money. Mm -hmm. I don't think canceling has anything to do with moral righteousness. It's all about, you know, because the people that get canceled are the ones that get canceled by companies. Companies cancel. So you brought up Chappelle. Chappelle said some stuff about transgender people that was probably out of line, but Netflix went, nah, you know what? People are signing up for Netflix because of him. So we're going to keep him on. So mm -hmm. Netflix is the one that did not cancel him. But guys like Milo Janopoulos, he got canceled because he got fired. That's the canceling part. And that's about money. So when you get to the point of you understand your customer, like, you remember when Nike went all out on Cap? Mm -hmm. They were like, nope, Kaepernick's our guy. And I was like, oh my God, I'm burning my jersey. It's like, well, guess what? The people that like him are the vast majority of our customer base. So he stays on the billboard mm -hmm. and he doesn't get canceled. And so 
part of this whole cancel culture thing is you fucked up because you weren't valuable enough to your employer. But the other part of it is we don't care if you're offended. And I think the pendulum is swinging back slowly, probably. But the the youngest generations are unplugging their phones. They're not watching advertising based media. They're not on they're not on social media anymore. They're they're rapidly unplugging and leaving. I read an article today about how Gen the the younger half of Gen Z is completely ditching match.com. Mm. They're just they're walking away from apps. They don't want to be involved. They don't want to deal with it. They don't care. They understand exactly what it is. It's a rage machine. So part yeah. of what you're part of what you're asking about, I can see green shoots. Yeah. I think I think it's just one of those things that we need to abandon as a society and realize it's impossible. You know, when you're, when you get so many people together, they're going to say offensive things. You can't have one side saying you get to say we have freedom of speech. We say things that we want to say. We want to have open opinions and open dialogue. And then you go on the other side and say, well, it has to be under these terms. Well, well, who wrote these fucking terms? Like who wrote the terms on how I say things how I deliver it, which, which way I deliver it, how I address you, all these different things that completely are very much in, again, this is an opinion piece. Clearly I, I am in no way a, a psych psych doctor or in any way, anything other than a person that just lives their life and, and, and is observant and says that this is bullshit. But I, I really have a tough time with this and I don't, it bothers me that there's people that are so offended. These people that, that took the ultimate downfall and took, took their lives. Cause we've, we've talked in the past where how horrible it is to me. Like I, mental health is a big deal for me. It's a really big deal. We've almost all lost a friend, friends due to it. You know, suicide is is real and it's rampant and it's gotten worse over the last couple of years. And I don't see it improving when you're saying that social media is, you know, on the on the downside. That makes me feel great. I wish it never existed. I think Olaf in in uh, in in the most recent of the Frozen's nailed it by saying that technology is both our savior and our doom because it's true. Yeah. And I think uh, if we could figure out a way, if I could figure out a way to make sure that my daughter understands that people are going to be dicks and they're going to be assholes and they're going to try to get you and they're going to try to get your goat and they're going to say things to fire you up. And if you have this magic superpower to not give a shit about what they say, you're ahead of 90% of the population out there. And that is a powerful thing because so many people get caught up in the churn. Watch them, listen to them, go by the water cooler, listen to what people are saying. It's almost always about, did you, they said this and they said that, they said this. And I'm like, you know, all the time. Let it go. Just fucking let it go. I, I really, really respect what my grandparents told me when we were out on a camping trip. I think I was like 12 or 13. And they said, what is the point of holding grudges? What is the point of holding the, um, I always say, because it's now here, I'm going to say trigger warning, trigger warning. I say, don't declare jihad every time somebody pisses you off. 
It's not worth it. It's too much effort on your part. That is a lot of jihads to keep track of. Just let it go. You know, just. It's the essence said, of cancer well, culture, isn't it? Grudges. Yeah. Just you're carrying this bag of bricks everywhere you go. I'm going to fucking. I'm going to show that person and I'm going to tell everybody about this person and what this person said to me. And I think one of the greatest fallouts from all of this is that we all understood we don't like Karen. Karen's a bitch. <laughs> Karen is the ultimate. Excuse me. Can I speak to the manager? Of what I'm talking about. Karen is the worst. And there are different levels of Karen. But at the end of the day, don't be a Karen. Let it go. Nicely. Yeah. All right. I will uh, I will bring up some historical context that I think you'll appreciate. I just watched the Back to the Future trilogy with my boys. Now, one, there's a lot of rapey shit in Back to the Future, and there's a lot of language for a PG <laughs> Is movie. Is there really? I'm going to have to watch oh, it again. Dude, the whole thing with Biff and his mom, and then a little bit later, there's, there's some, like, that's that's sexual assault. But, you know, it was the 80s, whatever. But I want you to think back. Deep cuts, Leon. Why did Marty ruin his life in the future? And I'm thinking of the second one. But it pops up in the first one, the second one, and the third one. What is it that triggers Marty? No one calls him chicken. No one calls him chicken. And at the very last moment of the third one and his standoff with uh, Mad Dog Tannen, mm -hmm. they're going to call you yellow. He's like, he's an asshole. Mm-hmm. And he walks away. And that is the lesson because after he makes it back to 1985 and he's in the super awesome black TRD pickup truck with his hot mm -hmm. Elizabeth Shoe girlfriend and Flea shows up as needles and goes, prove it, McFly. And he doesn't take the bait. Mm -hmm. Boom. The message, and I appreciate you bringing that. He nailed it. That is true strength and something that I think we we haven't we haven't done the parenting section for in a while, but something you can you can teach that that's teachable. That's just not something we're ever teaching these days. Yeah. It's almost like we're teaching be offended, be offended when they say that, and that makes it worse. Look for you know? real harm. Look for somebody that's saying something that is real intended violence. Mm -hmm. And if it's just words, let it go. Hundred yep. percent, man. Hundred percent. All right, let's uh, let's land this bird. Let's do some happy times. All right, all right, all right. Tonight's happy times comes to us from the. Today show. This one was all over the headlines, but I could not let it go because I saw it and I think you nailed it with this one. For those of us that like the hero of the week segment, it is in fact a riff on the Foo Fighters. This was dated February 28th, 2023. Dave Grohl spent over 24 hours volunteering at a Los Angeles shelter to prepare barbecue for hundreds of people experiencing homelessness, once again proving he's everyone's hero. The Foo Fighters frontman made brisket, pork butt, ribs, and more delivered to the Hope the Missions Trebek Center in Northridge, California, February 22nd, <coughs> covered by the Today Show. You can see a picture of the frontman himself mm -hmm. prepping some pork butt in an aluminum pan, and he's got his smoker in the background. Now, we at the Bottle of Brown podcast, I think, I think even the Midge is into smoking meat, so all of us have an appreciation for the time and effort that goes into barbecue and the fact that this man spent 24 hours of his life cooking 
prepping and serving at a homeless shelter mm-hmm. is uplifting, makes the heart explode. The article yeah. goes on to say he arrived around three in the afternoon and then he was in our kitchen. He was prepping the meat. He was cutting it up. He was there until he put it in the smoker. The meat didn't go into the smoker until midnight that night because he's like, oh, it has to season and it has to do this. He's definitely a craftsman when it comes to that. And then he spent the night and he's got a picture here of Dave holding up a best way to slice a brisket from the point to the flat and the leaner and the fatter edges and the slice. Cut the slices in a quarter inch and enjoy. Well done, Dave. Uh, Grohl and his fellow barbecuers took turns smoking the meat overnight, even as a major winter storm moved its way through Southern California. For those of you not aware, uh, even in sunny, wonderful Foothill Ranch, there was snow. (laughs) Yes. Yep. Major winter storm moved through Southern California, dumping hail and rain on the shelter that night until it was ready about 3 p.m. February 23rd, or about an entire day after he started cooking. Hope the mission shelter served dinner at 6 p.m. So Grohl was working toward that deadline to be able to serve the meals after they were prepared. Picture him with the uh, shovel that he's probably putting wood into the smoker. He actually served to our guests. He came out, was very gracious, took pictures. He wanted no glory for it. He said, I just want to do this for you guys and give back in this way. Whenever he comes off work or anything else, that's what he wants to do. He wants to cook. Oh, and by the way, it was amazing. It's the best barbecue they ever had. That's amazing. Grohl's visit comes as Hope the Mission CEO Ken Kraft and President CFO Rowan Vansleeve are running 350 miles across the desert from Las Vegas back to Los Angeles to raise money for the mission's latest campaign. Vansleeve posted a video Grohl sent to the support of All In for Housing campaign. Keep it up. We've been out here all night cooking, Grohl said. You got to get back here soon because we're all in. The process of making music is a lot like cooking for a crowd. You create a recipe as you would a song. You prepare a meal as you would record in a studio and you serve it as you would perform live. When people come back for seconds, well, that's your own. Well done, Dave. Well done, Dave. Awesome. It seems like every time this guy pops up in the news, it's something positive. He's just cooler than cool. What can you say? Yeah, he's a good dude. Well said, sir. Leon, welcome back. I missed you. Terrible. <laughs> it was good. I'm, I'm glad to be back. Sorry, hey, that's was our show. last week. <laughs> well, stick around because... We got the midge now. One of these days, we'll have all four of us on for a hostful, and it'll be one of the best shows ever. <laughs> That's our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Give us a call, 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, the midge, or Mr. Jones, or any of our special guests. We want to hear from you. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, share with a friend. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, iHeartRadio. We're everywhere, wherever you get your podcasts. Share a quiet drink with this episode. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man.